Thank you, Cliff. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and then going through uh, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, going through verse 22, continuing our series looking at the call to worship that we read at the beginning of every service. Uh, Last week, we covered that that first phrase, to all who are bruised and burnt, uh, Christ will not break you. Uh, This week, we are covering that second phrase, to all who are far off and all who are near, Christ will give you peace. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and going through verse 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near." For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." I have never been to Disney World. My whole life, I've wanted to go so badly. I was promised when I was probably four that we were going to go to Disney World. And then a few weeks later, my parents said, sorry, the trip is canceled. Uh, You're getting a sister instead. (laughs) And when you're four, that's about the last thing you want to hear. You don't get to go to Disney World, and now you have a little sister. But in the rest of my life, I still haven't been able to swing the trip. It's just been too far. The logistics are too much. It's too expensive. I haven't been able to figure it out. But you have to think there are also some people who even live in Florida, maybe even Orlando, who could also say that same thing. They have similarly never been to Disney World, but they've always wanted to go. And I was wondering this week, who would enjoy that trip more, me or them? The one who is far off from Disney World or the one who's near to Disney World. And I couldn't come up with anything because whenever you get to the park, I don't really think it matters how far you came from before you got there. I think the Magic Kingdom is just as cool if you came from Conway, Arkansas or from just down the street. I think the Pineapple Whip probably tastes just as good if you came from Conway, Arkansas, or if you came from just down the street. I think getting to wrap your arm around Donald Duck and take a picture with him is just as cool whether you came from Conway, Arkansas, or from across the street. Because your enjoyment of the thing is not necessarily affected by how far it came for you to get there because the thing itself is so great. It doesn't matter that I had to get on a flight and they just had to cross the street. We're there. We get the thing. And when you're in the presence of what you wanted, when you've reached that goal, the distance no longer matters. 
doesn't make any difference to you how far it was before you got there. Similarly, though we call you to something far greater than a haunted mansion, this church sends out the call to all who are far off and all who are near with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who will give you peace. So this call goes out from Jesus to all who are far off. What is it to be far off? Look at the first three verses here. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." When we say to all who are far off, we really have a twofold meaning to that phrase, physical or cultural distance, and also spiritual distance. Verses 11 through 13 help us see what it looks like to be far off a little bit more clearly. It means to be a Gentile. That's what it says in verse 11, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. To be far off is in some sense to be a Gentile one who's not a Jew, to be called the uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision. A Gentile is anyone who isn't Jewish. Anyone who's not descended from the original 12 tribes of Israel would count as a Gentile. And the clearest physical marker from one group to the other was circumcision. That's what delineated who is and is not a Gentile or a Jew. It was the defining characteristic of each group. So Gentiles those who culturally would have been outside the bounds of the Jews, the people that we think would be saved, the Gentiles, the people we think would not be saved, they are far off. They're not part of this religion by heritage. They're not born into it. Whereas Jews were circumcised and brought up in the faith, a Gentile would have had to hear the truth and be converted into the faith at some point. Their mother, their father, their surrounding culture probably wouldn't have been telling them about this God about the God of Israel, the God who saves, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That would have meant absolutely nothing to them. They're Gentiles in the flesh because they're not brought up to believe in the God of the Jews. And they also probably would have been far off literally, physically. Jews were pretty concentrated in one region. There was an ancient Israel that was a kingdom, and they lived roughly around that place. But Gentiles are everywhere else, anywhere else. They were in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. They were in Asia, Rome, America. Most of us in this room, I would even probably say everyone in this room, would qualify as a Gentile in this sense. You probably were not raised Jewish. And Paul's reminding these people, the Ephesians, who now are part of the people of God, that they at one time were Jews. They live outside of what would have formerly been the borders of the nation of God's people. And because of their status as being outside of God's people, because of their status of not being the people of God themselves, they are separated from Christ. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time, when you were a Gentile in the flesh, separated from Christ. They were far off from him, who he is. Rather than existing in a close relational proximity with God and Christ, there was a barrier between him and them, and that barrier was their sin. Those far-off people could not be in the presence of God, because where God is holy, they are sinful. There were non-believers in his truth, in his gospel, 
so they had not yet received his forgiveness. Because of that, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were alienated from God's people. They were separated not only from God, but the people who worshipped him also. They were strangers and aliens from that community of believers. They were not part of the in-group, the the inner clique. They were outsiders, outcasts from that fellowship and those people. In verse 11, Paul even says that they were referred to as the uncircumcision. That's the name that they were given. Those who would have been in the group had a nickname for them, pejorative term. They were calling them names, basically. When you hear that they were called the uncircumcision, think a jock in high school going, nerd. Uncircumcision. It's a way to make them feel less than. It's a way to make them feel like the outsider, the loser in the interaction, the outgroup. They were defined in the minds of the in-group, the Jews, by their status as outsiders looking in. They were aliens to the Jews, aliens to God's people. And they were also strangers to the promise. Still in verse 12, strangers to the covenants of promise. They were outsiders looking in because they were strangers. Whereas God has planned great things for his people. Great things for those who worship him, to prosper them and not to harm them. To give them a hope and a future by saving them from their sins in Christ. Those who here in this text are far off have none of those promises. They've got no claim to Christ's salvation. They have no promise of a future inheritance. They receive none of the blessings that come with being part of the commonwealth of Israel, God's people. And therefore, the text says, they had no hope. They've got no hope. What are they supposed to do? They're outside of God's people. They aren't reconciled to God. They're not part of his group. They have no hope. They have nothing going for them. They cannot save themselves. They're not welcome among the chosen people of God, and they're separated from Christ. They've got no promises, no assurances to fall back on. They feel like specks of dust on a ball of dirt floating in a large, cruel universe. They've got no hope because they're without God. That's their real problem. The reason they have no hope, the reason they're alienated from God's people, the reason they have no promises, the reason they are uh, separated from Christ is because they are without God. All through Scripture, you'll see these claims over and over. Fear not, for the Lord is with you. Fear not, there are more with us than there are with them. Fear not, for the Lord fights for you. With man, this is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Over and over and over, you hear the truth that everything regarding your fate, your well-being, your hope, relies on whether you are with God or without God. And these people, at one time, were those who were far off and without God. So who are these people? That's what it looked like to be one of these people, but who are they? Well, there are those who have not heard the gospel. Those who haven't heard the gospel definitely qualify as being far off. There are those who would not be reached with the gospel if someone did not go to them with it. There are people who don't have a church on every corner to go to. They may not have a Bible in their language. They may not have ever heard the truth that there is an all-powerful God who created all things, and rather than leaving his people in their sins, which have marred his creation, he entered into it. 
who took on flesh in the form of Jesus Christ to redeem his creation back to himself and make new that which was broken. They have never heard that truth. They don't have access to it. They don't have the opportunity for someone to even tell them those true things. They are far off literally and physically. And lest we hear that and think of some other people, don't forget that at one time you were among that number. At one time, you would have qualified as one who was far off. You have no control over where you were born. And had God placed you in India rather than Conway, it's very possible that you would have never heard that truth. You would have never had the opportunity to turn to Christ. It's very unlikely that you would be a Christian right now if you were born in a place like that. This gospel message, the truth that we proclaim here in this church, week in and week out, started in Jerusalem. And had it not spread to Europe and crossed the ocean and followed the frontier and taken root right here in this place in 1894, you very well may not have ever heard that same truth either. Those who are far off don't have the opportunity to hear the truth very often. This aspect of to all who are far off is designed to be a weekly reminder that God's plan for reaching the nations for their good and his glory is you. You are called to reach the nations. You are called to take his truth throughout the entire globe to spread the entire earth with his message and his people. He's called his disciples to spread his name and his renown over the entire globe. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If once is enough, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, from the beginning, Once Christ made his people, he told his people that it's their responsibility to be his witnesses. It's their responsibility to spread his name throughout the entire world, even to those who are far off. And those who are far off was us. Even if you have lived your entire life in the Bible Belt South, even if you've driven past five churches to get to work every morning, every time you go anywhere, at one point in time, Conway, Arkansas, was as unreached, as unchristianized as any people group on the planet. We were far off from the gospel. Someone had to come and tell us, and we have the responsibility to go out and tell someone else. Unless we think only of someone in China when we hear this verse, only of someone who does not have access to the gospel, ask a local school teacher how many of the kids in their room have actually heard the truth of who Jesus is have actually understood the truth of that gospel. We are called to reach the nations right here and right now. And we should do that. We cannot forget that call and that responsibility that Christ has given to us as his people. But we also can't forget that those who haven't heard the gospel may be our literal neighbors. They might not have any idea what we do when we gather here in this building every week. We should do all we can to reach China, absolutely. But a great first step to that is reaching Conway, is reaching the people right here and right now to get more workers to go out into God's harvest 
because the fields are white unto harvest. We reach the world, and the first step toward that very often is reaching whoever's right next to you. That's what we can do. Those who are far off are those who haven't heard the gospel, but they're also those who simply do not believe. Because being far off can have another sense to it, a spiritual sense. Yeah, you can be far off literally, physically, but the distance from here to Japan isn't nearly as far as the distance between God and man. To be far off is to be one who is separated from God, one who's without any of his promises. It's ultimately to be a non-believer, to be one who hasn't put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. No one's born a Christian. Regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your location, regardless of your natural disposition to follow rules or to be a good person, there was a time when you did not believe. It doesn't matter where you are now. There was a point. It may have been not that long. It may have been just a few years. But at one point in time, you were not a Christian. You didn't believe. And that lack of faith was enough to seal your fate for eternity in a very real place called hell. There is an infinite chasm between God, the sinless creator, and us, sinful creatures. So apart from God, we are lost and without hope. And such were some of you. And perhaps it's where some of you still are. So every week, when we come together, when we remind ourselves that we come here called by God to worship God in Christ... It's my hope that one of the first things you hear when you walk through those doors is that all who are far off are welcome here in this church on behalf of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who will give you peace. We have to remember that. And we have to remember that even once we have been brought near so that we'll know everyone we meet, everywhere we go, no matter what their status is, they are welcome here. There's no one that you see on the street who is so far from God that they cannot be brought near. Because he brought you, didn't he? Conway's a long way from Jerusalem. And yet God ordained history in such a way that you had the opportunity to hear. Anyone you see has that same opportunity. And I know that because you're seeing them. You're there. You can bring them the gospel. The mechanism by which they can be brought near, though they are far off, may be you right then, right there in that place. To all who are far off, this church welcomes you on behalf of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who will give you peace, though you were far off. He will bring you near. He can and does bring near those who are far off. Though there may have been a great distance between you and Christ's work, he has crossed that distance. Though you may be called an outsider, he saves those who are outsiders. Though you were separated from Christ, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Though you were alienated from the people of God, we today, right here, right now, are the people of God, and we are beckoning you to come to him and to worship him. Though you are a stranger to his promises, he can rec- you can receive them for yourself and all of their benefits. Though you have no hope, you can have Christ and with him hope unfailing. Today, right now, though you were without God, he is calling you right now today into the worship of him. He can bring you near right now today into the worship of him. This call to worship that we read every week goes out to all who are far off. But it also goes out to all who are near. 
What is it to be near? Look at the next few verses in this section. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What is it to be near in this context and how we're meaning it in our call to worship? It really has a a twofold meaning like two sides of the same coin. To be near could be one who has peace. In a verse 14 sense, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the sense that Christ has brought those who were far off near, this means that they've been reconciled to him. It means that though you were far from him, he has brought you near to himself. He has made the Jew and the Gentile both one in himself by breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between them. And that's actually the primary context of this text today. If we were preaching exegetically through the book of Ephesians, like we do the the book of Mark and like we'll return to in a few weeks, the primary context of this text would be talking about the way that he is reconciling people groups to each other in himself. But he does that by saving them to himself. He does that by breaking down the wall between him and these people. To be near in this sense, in this meaning, is to be brought into relationship and union with Christ. It's to be a Christian. Those who are near, at least in this sense, are Christians. You've been brought near. But it's also those who simply follow the commandments. Verses 15 and 16, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In verses 15 and 16, we see that those who are near also includes those who are still in need of being reconciled in some way. Paul's writing to a mixed group of both the religious and the non-religious the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian, trying to bring these two groups together into one new people, his people. So while some of these people consider themselves to be somehow nearer to God, himself, see, they thought that they had a leg up on those who were far off simply because they already knew the commandments. They already knew the rules. They had been brought up in it. But they still weren't being saved by them. They thought that peace between the Jew and the Gentile had to come by the Gentiles doing what the Jews were doing. They said, we were already close beforehand, so you do what we do, and then you'll be closer than you were, even though we still aren't quite reconciled to God yet. But Paul's saying, no, no, no. Christ isn't saving them by making them look like you. Christ is saving them by making them look like him. It's not that he reconciles the two groups by making them look like each other. He reconciles the two groups by bringing them closer to him. That's how he breaks down the wall of hostility. So though you may think you are near to God because you know what he's called you to do, because you may even be able to do some of what he's called you to do, what it actually takes for you to be brought near to him, to be reconciled to him, is the work of Christ applied to you personally. That when Christ died on the cross, he did it for you that it was your sins that he was atoning for. 
That's how you are actually at peace with him. So to be near, though you may be near, is to still be one who is in need of peace. Because both of these groups, the one who has been brought near, though they were far off, and the one who appeared to be near in their religious practice, are both in need of peace. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. Both the far off and the near needed the peace of Christ in order to actually be be reconciled to God. So it's not just those who were far off who needed it. It's also those who were near who needed it. Christ came and preached his peace to both of them. So that's what it is to be near. Who are these people? Who is near? In the meaning of our call to worship, both those who are far off but have become believers have been brought near, and those who think they are near because of their religious practice, who think they are near because of their own self-righteousness, who think they are near because they know what they're supposed to be doing, they qualify here. The first group are actually Christians because they've been reconciled to God in Christ. They were far off, they were reconciled to Christ, and he brought them near. The second group was near by default, but they're still lacking the peace of Christ. They're still lacking being reconciled to God. They're still lacking an actual application of Christ's work to them personally. They're people who may be trusting in their own good deeds for salvation rather than on Christ's work on their behalf. These people, that second group, they're not Christians. They haven't put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. They may be doing the right things that we would see on the outside, but on the inside... In the inside, they are not reconciled to Christ. They're not at peace with God. But the gospel, the truth that you are saved and reconciled to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, is necessary for the Christian and the non-Christian alike. It's for both groups. We both need that message. We both need Christ's peace. Those who are saved and those who think they are saved. It's for those who are far off and those who are near. Present repentance, right now, today, repentance and faith, that's the answer to both of these groups. Both those who have actually been converted in the past and those who have never even thought about coming to faith in Christ until right now, today. You in this room are either far off or near in one of the senses we've discussed. In some sense, it applies to everyone. And the gospel the truth that Christ can bring you peace, that is the message for you, no matter which group you're a part of. Tim Keller said this same idea, the same point, when he said the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. You don't get reconciled to God in the gospel and then move on. You get reconciled to God in the gospel, and you keep pressing in every day for the rest of your life. Both those who are far off and those who are near need the peace of Christ right now, today, through the gospel. Because Christ gives peace to both of these groups. He preaches his peace to both of these groups. He will reconcile you to God, and when that happens, when you're united to Christ, you can't help but be united to each other. Both the ones who were already near and those who came from far off. 
He takes those who are far and those who are near and brings them into a relationship with himself so that we are no longer defined by those differences. We're his people. He gives us his peace. And he is our peace, as the rest of the text will show us. Starting in verse 18. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. By the blood of Jesus... Through the cross of Jesus Christ, he is your peace. That's how he gives his peace to his people. You've been brought near, though you were far off, by his blood. He has reconciled both groups to God through the cross. It's only by his work. He's the only chance you have at peace. The work of Christ brings near those who are far off and brings peace to those who are near and brings both groups together in him. And he does all of this through his sacrifice, through his blood. No cross, none of this is true. But with the cross, with Christ's sacrifice, with Christ's atonement for you, all of this is true. All of this can be true for you. He gives you access to the Father. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He's broken down the wall of hostility, where before you were without God, You were without his promises. You now, today, have access to him. And not just access, but true access, real access, right up front, close and personal access. Look at Hebrews verses uh, 14 through 16 in chapter 4. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You have access to the Father. You can approach his throne of grace, his throne of mercy, without fear without the thought that you will die in the presence of this holy God, because through Christ's work, you receive mercy. You find grace in his presence rather than death. He himself is your peace if you are in him. He's done more than that, though. He's also made you a citizen, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Because of his work, you're no longer a stranger to the promise. You're no longer an alien to the commonwealth of his people. You're a citizen in his kingdom. You're a member of his household. The promises are yours. The inheritance is yours. The familial love from a father to his children is yours. All through Christ. All in him giving you peace. And he does this as God's dwelling place. Verses 20 through 22. You are his dwelling place. He lives with you and within you. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This household of God, of which you enter into when you are brought near by the blood of Christ, is built on a firm foundation of the gospel, with Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It will never be shaken, though the earth gives way, and though the mountains crumble. It will stand fast. It will stand firm. Such is the security and wholeness of your peace that you are not only reconciled to God, but you are now where he dwells. He is your peace. He dwells with you and within you by the Spirit. What a glorious gift to those that he has brought near. It's not enough that he just took you from far off and brought you near to him. But he took you from far off, brought you near, and set up his dwelling place within you. Oh, what a good gift he has given to his people. What a good promise we can give to anyone who walks through our doors. That you are welcome on behalf of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who will bring you near and who is your peace. You're welcome. You're called to worship him. He is your peace. You can't get that same promise anywhere else. You can't bring yourself near to him. You can't reconcile yourself to him. Look around at our world. We can't even find peace between one man and another man, much less peace between God and man. But here, in this place, with these people, in this church, There's no limit to what Christ can do for you and in you. To all who are far off and to all who are near, this church welcomes you on behalf of Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, who will give you peace. What a good gift that he's given to his people and what a good opportunity that we get to say that every week. We get to be reminded of that every week. So that when we meet anyone, we know they're not too far gone. When we meet anyone who thinks they are already in here, but doesn't actually have the promise of Christ applied to them, we know he can actually give you peace. That between both groups, the ones who were far off and had been brought near, and the ones who always felt like they were near and then were reconciled to God, there can be reconciliation and peace between the two because we are united in Christ. That when he gives his peace, he gives it to everyone. He gives it in abundance. He gives it as the prince of peace. What a good gift. What a great opportunity. We are called into the worship of him because he has done all this for us. So let us be reminded of that every week. The first thing we do when our worship begins. Let us hear those words and know, okay, I can be here. This is where I belong, in his peace with these people. It doesn't matter how far each of us came from to get here. When we get here, we get the same enjoyment. We get the same presence. We get the same promise. We get the same peace. You might have just crossed the street, or you might have been as far from God as anyone has ever been. And yet, you get the same peace. We both get to ride on the same ride at Splash Mountain. What a good gift. What a good promise. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. 
Thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you week in and week out as people who have been reconciled to you, as people who are your dwelling, as people who have been not only brought near, but given your peace. Help us remember that you have called us to reach those who are far off. Those who are far off, literally and physically, to reach them with your gospel. And those who are far off, spiritually, to tell them your gospel, to show them your goodness. Let us not forget that such were some of us. That though we have been brought near, we owe all to the cross of Christ. We owe all to the blood of Christ. Let us remember that week in and week out. Let those words at the beginning of the service not merely be something that we hear, not merely be something that becomes a routine, but something that is a good reminder of your gospel in every phrase, in every week, whether we feel like we need it or not. Thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.